Since the beginning of time, God has chosen to use people to build His kingdom. And despite countless obstacles and distractions, His kingdom continues to grow. This isn't due to any one person or group of people. The advancement of the kingdom of God requires the united effort of the church. Together, we must spread the truth and love of Christ in our neighborhoods and community. Together, we must break down every barrier we encounter until we make disciples among every people group on earth. If we truly want to reach the lost, we can't expect them to come to us. Now more than ever before, we are moving out. And this has been God's vision all along, all the way back in the Old Testament, his dream for Abraham and his family, his dream for the Israelites was that they would spread his truth and spread, be a light for the world even back then. But all the way, the first time we see the word that we translate church in the New Testament is Jesus himself talking, and it's in Matthew 16. In Matthew 16, Jesus took some of his disciples to a place called Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was the place where there was this enormous cave and a uh, temple and worship area of sorts where they worshipped the mythological god Pan and some really pretty disgusting ways, honestly. Um, it, was, it was pretty gross. And this was not a place that n- most rabbis would take their students on a field trip. This was not a place where they were like, oh, you got to see the gates of Hades. And that's really what they called it. Many people actually believed that that big cave was kind of the gate to the underworld. And, and it, it, was, it was a dark, dark place. But this is where Jesus took his disciples. And I'm sure they had a lot of questions. But he had two questions for them that day. First one was, who do people say that I am? And the second is, who do you say that I am? I guarantee you Jesus was not having an identity crisis. He was not taking a poll. He was not trying to get some constructive feedback. Is my PR working? Is this working well? What what should I adjust? How should we try? He, He knows exactly who he is and what he wants to do. What he wants to know is, what do people actually believe? What do they actually believe? Because here's the truth, and I'm just going to throw this out to you. This is true across the board in every area of your life. You may not realize this, but every single thing any of us ever do, it's because of what we believe and where our priorities are. That's it. And we all think, because we really believe it, that what, no, 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 I act on what is actually true and what is most important. Well, yeah. And you may be right. I'm not saying you're wrong. You may actually have, you might actually believe everything that you believe is actually true. It might actually be actually true. And what you consider most important may be what God considers most important. But I guarantee you, you act on it not because it is objectively true or it is objectively somehow you've stumbled onto every single priority God has, but because you believe it's true and that is your priority. You have owned it. So Jesus is saying, so who do people say that I am? Not because he's worried about trying to adjust himself, but he goes, that's their point A. That's who they are. And he asks asks his disciples, and who do you say I am? Because he knows that whatever they think about him is how they're going to treat him. Wherever their priorities are is what they're going to do about that faith. Are we tracking so far? 
We're going to be wading in some deep water today. I just want to give you a chance to do that. In fact, we're going to do a quick Greek lesson here. Uh, this is important. I know everybody's like, oh, Greek, yeah, it's our favorite. But the reason is, the, reason we, the only reason I ever do this is when it actually clears something up. When you go back to the original language. And this is, the verse we're about to read together has been confusing. It's actually really led some... Well, it's, it's caused some trouble over the years, and it's actually very easy to understand in the first original language, okay? Three words you need to know, Petros, Petra, and Ecclesia. Petros is the first word. That means rock. It's a masculine noun in the language of Greek, and it means rock or stone. It means the kind of thing you can pick up or throw. It can be used as a weapon, or it can be used to build something. It's, it is what it is. You follow me on this so far? Okay? Second word, Petra, it's a feminine noun in the language of Greek, and it means bedrock. It means foundation. It's not the same thing as Petros. Okay? It's a totally different thing. Petra is what Jesus used in Matthew 7 when he said, those who listen to my teaching and obey what I say are wise, like a person who builds their house on solid rock. He's not talking about building it on rocks. He's talking about building it on Petra, bedrock. Still tracking? Third big word you got to understand in this original is this is the first time Jesus introduces it into the text, into the context, talking. To, first time he uses this word to his disciples, and that is ecclesia. And ecclesia means the gathering of the called out. The gathering of the called out. And all my life, I've heard uh, Bible studies about that, and they almost always angle one of two, two ways. They always either emphasize the gathering part, how important it is to gather. By the way, that's true. The whole idea of gathering and fellowship is inseparable from the gospel. That is something God always has as a high priority. So I don't disagree with any of those. The other one is they are going to emphasize the idea that called out. It's not enough that we just gather. We've got to be different. We've got to be holy. Again, truth, absolutely true. But recently, thank God for Tony Evans. Man, that guy is just, he, he has really opened my soul a lot of stuff. I'd never thought about this until he recommended it in one of his messages to look up ecclesia outside of Bible commentaries, outside of what we just think of theologically. And ecclesia, here's what it was. Ecclesia was the gathering of the called out in the city-state government of Greeks. And then it was adapted by the Romans. Jesus didn't make this word up. He was reappropriating a word that they already knew. The ecclesia was the gathering. It was kind of like in our government, we have the Senate and the House of Representatives. Right? And the Senate has longer terms. The House of Representatives has shorter ones. And at least in theory, the idea is that the House of Representatives represents the people just a little bit more. That was much more dramatic then. The Senate was almost entirely, um, their version of the Senate in the Greek city-states was almost entirely what we would call one percenters nowadays. And, and so they had called people out of the community, all the other classes that there were. They represented not only the government to the people, but the people to the government. They were almost like priests in the Old Testament. They were the ones who, who interacted between... They, they, so here, here's the bottom line. As we get into this very familiar passage, I want to make sure you understand that Petros and Petra are not going to be the same thing. Okay, The rock that Jesus is building things on is not the dude, Peter. It's a different bedrock. It's the bedrock of the truth that Peter just said. The other thing that you need to know is that the word that Jesus 
used for a church implied to them from day one a sense of responsibility and a sense of accountability to all the people everywhere. It wasn't just a gathering of people who were called out. It was a gathering of people who were called out for a purpose. They knew from day one, the first time he used this word, that they were being called out for a job to do. They were called out to reach people. You still reading my email? You tracking on this one? Because this is really important, and a lot of people have been really confused by this passage many years. And It's actually kind of simple and pretty foundational to what we're about to talk about this morning. Here we go. Matthew 16, he takes him to Caesarea Philippi, asks him these two questions. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my, my, my father in heaven. In other words, I already heard your answers, what everybody else says about me, and I've heard what all these dudes said. <laughs> You're not getting this truth from them. You're getting it straight from God. And guess what? I tell you that you are Peter. You're a rock, man. You're solid. You are, you're a force to be reckoned with. I'm going to have to watch you. You might be a weapon. You might be a tool. I don't know what you're going to be. But, dude, you are a rock. You're solid. I love you. You are Peter. And on this rock, on this Petra, on this foundation, on the thing you just said about me, I will build my Ecclesia. I will build my church. I will build my gathering of people who are called out to reach, represent, be there for the rest of the people. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. From day one, again, here's what they realized. This was not going to be a purely defensive kind of a game they were going to play. They were going to be on the offense. He did not say, and the forces of Hades will not be able to penetrate the barricades you throw up. He said, the gates of Hades will not be able to overcome you as you expand. Totally different mindset. Tony Evans says, Jesus is saying, I love his words here. He says, what Jesus is telling them is the way you know it's my ecclesia is hell is not winning. Amen. Yeah. But here's the thing. Um, what would it look like if hell is winning? Because I don't know about you, but I think in, in our government, this is never going to get political ever, ever, ever. But no matter what side you're on, who you think is right or wrong, and any, what should be happening, at any given time, I think hell is winning sometimes in our nation. And I think sometimes, no matter which church it is and how well we are trying to do it right, how hard we are working to get it right, sometimes hell is winning. Because here's what hell winning looks like. Everything is driven by fear. Everything is driven by division or selfishness. Whenever the, the highest value that we have is protecting ourselves from whatever we fear the most. Whatever that is. When that's our biggest value, our strongest value is, oh, then our heroes become the people who protect us, who shield us from danger. Our heroes become the people who convince us that hiding out and being safe and not taking any risks is the best thing. And again, I'm not talking politically here, okay? Please don't misunderstand what I'm telling you. I'm talking about absolute truths that can be applied across the board to anything that you are afraid of, anything I'm afraid of, anything else. Are you with me? 
But when hell is winning, the driving force is fear and division and anger. And you're willing to reject your best friends, your family, anything that it takes. If you think they're going to endanger you, we're, we're, no, no. When heaven is winning, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When heaven is willing, everybody's still scared, everybody's still worried, everybody still has struggles, and nobody ever totally 100% agrees. But the driving force in the gathering of those who have been called out to serve the people on behalf of God, the driving force is love and joy and peace and patience. And you can tell when you're among them. And those forces are always more powerful than the forces of evil. The forces of truth are always more powerful than the forces of lies. This is just the truth. That's what moving out means. It means we know that this is true. And we know that this is our responsibility to share this. We know that this is who we are. We are not just gathering so we can gather because we like to gather. We're not just being called out because we like being different. We are gathering, we are called out because we represent Jesus to the world. And we represent the world to Jesus. We're in charge of baking down the barricades. We're in charge of building the bridges. He has put us in charge of making His will happen on this earth. And that looks like love and joy and peace and patience and all those other things and courage, even in the face of our biggest fears, whatever those may Still with me? All right. I'd like you to say this out loud with me. We make disciples who make disciples. Say it again like you mean it. Actually, if you would, put your hand out like you're in a circle with a ball team or something like that, okay? Put your hand out like this. We're going to say, we make disciples who make disciples, and then we're going to go, whoo! <laughs> okay? Because this is who we are. You ready? Here we go. We make disciples who make disciples. <laughs> go team. That's how it works. We grow exponentially when this happens. I'll, I'll talk more about that in just a second, but with, there's so much growth. And the next time you see the word ecclesia in the scriptures, the next time this shows up is two chapters later, in Matthew 18. And that's when Jesus is talking to the people in, about how to handle conflict within this gathering he's creating. At this point, notice the history, notice the timeline. There isn't anything that looks like what we would call a church yet, but this gathering started to take shape in their heads and in their hearts. And he said, you've got a conflict with somebody else who's trying to follow me, you go straight to them. If that, that doesn't work, you get somebody else from within that gathering to go with you, try to work this out. If that doesn't work, you go to somebody, an elder in the church. That's how we translate it now. But what he was really saying is somebody in this group that you respect, somebody you know that's going to represent the whole group and represent Jesus in this situation. They're not going to represent you or take sides with the other person. They're trying to work this out. Because we've got a job to do. And if that doesn't work, then you take it to the entire gathering. And if that doesn't work, then you treat them like a tax collector or a sinner. Which is love, breaking down barricades, building bridges. We go, it's just we go back to square one. We go, oh, I get it. This thing that you're doing is more important to you than being part of what we're doing. Being, being part of what this other thing that you're doing right now is more important to you than what we're all supposed to be about. So you're not actually on the team right now, but the second you want to be, come on back. You know where the bridge is. But we're not going to rely on you the way we've been relying on you. 
That's ecclesia. The next time we see it is in Acts. We see it several times as the church starting to be the church. It's not yet a congregation, but this group of believers starts to form on the day of Pentecost and it starts to spread out. And it, even in the midst of persecution, in Acts 5 and Acts 6, 7, 8, and 9, you see them under a lot of persecution. And that's part of the reason why they had to spread out. That's part of the reason they actually grew so fast was they had to. They had to move. They couldn't stay in Jerusalem. They knew Jesus had said, start in Jerusalem, spread out to Judea, then cross out to Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. A couple of them have been doing that, but all of them just about had to because they were being persecuted. But look at the good news, Acts 9.31. I read this to you a couple weeks ago. I'm going to read it to you again. Notice where they've already gotten to. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, which on a map is also part of Judea. It's all that same area. It's close. And Samaria, they've already made it into Samaria. Are you with me? Enjoyed a time of peace. And they were strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, they increased in numbers. One last little Greek thing. This is just an aside, but this word is not addition. This is multiplication. It means literally means multiplied. And here's the difference. If I lead somebody to Jesus, now there's two followers. And then I lead somebody else to Jesus. Now we got three. And I lead somebody else to Jesus. Now we got four. That's growth. Exponential growth is I lead somebody to Jesus. Now we got two. Now we both lead somebody to Jesus. Now we got Four. Now we all lead somebody to Jesus. Now we got eight. Now we all lead somebody. Are you following me on this? That's the way it's supposed to be. Disciples make disciples. That is inseparable from the gospel. That is how this works. And if we are not obsessed with this, if we don't get this, we're missing a huge part of the gospel, of God's plan for his church. This is what Jesus is doing here in this very passage we start with. We'll come back to that in just a second, Matthew 16. But it's also what the Sticky Faith Movement calls keychain leadership. Uh, those of you who are part of that group, we are, we're passionate about discipling our children, our teenagers, our college-age students, our young adult family. We would love to have anybody else join us. We meet on the third Tuesday every single month. But in the Sticky Faith program, part of the stuff, it's, it, it, part of the things that they always recommend is the best way to disciple your kids is give them the keys. Same, same way, and they get that from how to teach a kid to drive. You don't teach your kid to drive just so that you can brag to other parents, oh yeah, I did it. Check that off the list. I tell them how to drive. You, you teach them how to drive so they can, you can say this, they can drive. There you go. You want them to drive. And yeah, it's scary and it's, it's terrifying for a parent, but the dream is you hand them the keys. Hey, I need you to run your little brother or sister to the school. I need you to go get such and such from the grocery store. Have fun with your friends tonight. You're driving yourself. That's keychain leadership. And this is how Jesus set up his ecclesia. This is how he set it up. This is, he set it up, he put, gave us the keys, which is exactly what he says to Peter and the rest of the disciples in this passage. Matthew 16, verse 19. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In other words, the stuff you lock up, the stuff I tell you, you're, not, you're, you're supposed to share this. You lock it up, guess what? It stays locked up. And you guys are responsible for those consequences. 
But if you unlock it and you share it like I told you to, you get to be part of the consequences to that as well. Whatever you do is what's going to happen. I am giving you the keys to the kingdom. Acts 11.26 is the first time we see the word ecclesia referring to a local congregation. And already this has grown so much that now this congregation is primarily Greeks with just a few Jews in there. So So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Notice they're still reaching out every single day. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Christians means little Christ, little clones, little, little tiny messiahs, little, little saviors. Some people believe that was a dig. Some people, maybe it was, but I, I would take that as a compliment. <laughs> if, if, people, if, people, if I looked enough like Jesus, you're, you're like a little version of Jesus. I'd be like, hey, you don't know how big Jesus is, but thank you. Here's the second thing that I hope is true. I need you to put your hand out again. We're going to do the go team thing one more time. This is important. This is who we are. This is what we do. Growing Christ's kingdom is our core motivation. I need you to say it with me and we're going to go whoo one more time. Ready? Here we go. Growing Christ's kingdom is our core motivation. Woo! I know that doesn't have a cool team ring to it, but this is important. What that means is we've got to be willing to break free of any allegiance or anything inside of ourselves that distract us from growing Christ's kingdom. Whatever it is that might be distracting us from this being the core idea has got to go. This is it. Are we doing a good job as a church? I don't know. Are we growing Christ's kingdom? Are we making disciples who make disciples? Do we have a good children's ministry? I don't know. Are they making disciples who make disciples? Are they growing Christ's kingdom? Do we have a good student ministry? I don't know. Are they making disciples who make disciples? Are they growing Christ's kingdom? What about all the adults, young adults and adults of every? Are we doing a good job? I don't know. Are we making disciples who make disciples? Are we growing Christ's kingdom? That's what it means that it's our core motivation. Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Notice we don't get to choose our own path. We don't get to rewrite the job description. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. It's so easy to grow weary and lose heart, isn't it? Even when things are going well. I don't know about you, but I get tired. And when things are rough, when things are wearing on us, when things are nuts, when the whole world seems to be falling apart, where you don't know how to talk to anybody, I'm not, I'm not getting into that conversation, but when everybody you see is wearing a mask around you, you know what I'm saying? There's just, when there's barriers, when things just look different, 
It's not the same. You don't know if you can touch anybody anymore. Everything we're experiencing right now, it just makes it even worse. It's not a brand new experience for us to get weary and for us to lose heart. It's just a little bit easier right now, which makes it so important that we hit that reset button with God. We let him hit that in us and we go, okay, yeah, he never said it was going to be easy. This is what we're all about. Let's just make sure of that. That's our hope. That's what we've still got, no matter what. This applies to everything. It applies to your personal holiness. Most of us, most of us, I, I would say all of us at some point in our lives, if not all the time, still struggle in one way or another. Is how far could I go in this area and still be okay with God? How little could I do and still be counted as an active Christian? That's a race when your core motivation is building the kingdom and making disciples who make disciples. Your closest relationships, your relationships at church, all the other things that drive your life. When the core motivation, everything about what you are, is I am here to build God's kingdom on earth until he returns. That changes how you handle conflict. Suddenly conflict is not whether I'm right or you're right or who's going to win this little thing. It's how do we get this right because we're part of the same ecclesia. We're part of the same group. We can't let whatever we're disagreeing about separate us. Are you kidding me? We're working together. We're the body of Christ. We've got to fix this so that we can work together and get the job done. We make disciples who make disciples. We grow the kingdom of God. We don't have time to be fighting over this nonsense. We work out our conflict because we have to. This is who we are. This is what we do. We've got to figure out how to stay on the team. How do you reach Samaria? Same thing. What prejudices do I have? What anger do I have? What, what do I carry with me that keeps me from even wanting to reach across these barriers or tear them down or build bridges? I have to get rid of that in my life. You have to get rid of that in my life. We don't have a choice. Jesus Christ commanded us to go into all the world. And it starts where you are, it spreads out, it crosses those lines, and then it goes to the ends of the earth. Which leads us to one more go team moment. Here we go. Everybody put your hand in one more time. You guys can do this at home too, or wherever you are right now. Unless you're driving. Say it with me. We won't stop until we reach every nation. That was pretty good, but I think we can do better. Let's try that one more time. Yell this thing out. Here we go. We won't stop until we reach every nation. There we go. That's what it's got to be. And I'm telling you, it's not going to be easy. I'm telling you, it's not, Jesus never said it would. Matthew 24, Jesus is telling us all about what the end times will look like. Here's part of what he said. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You will be hated by all nations because of me. Many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase in wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The words of Jesus Christ himself. 
Guess who's got the keys to the kingdom? Guess who's in charge of making sure that happens? Guess why it's not done? There's an awesome course called Kairos that several of you have been through. I'd like to somehow be able to do that again. One of the most memorable things I'd like to share with you guys this morning, this comes from them. On this scroll here are a whole bunch of names. We zoomed in, we got pictures to show you what it looks like. There's a whole bunch of names and columns. The first column says, unreached people group. Second says, country of residence. Third says, population. Fourth says, main religion. Fifth says, percentage evangelized. Here's what that means. An unreached people group is a group of people that we know who they are. We know how many live there. We know what language they speak. We know, and here's one of the things we know about them. They have no real knowledge of Jesus. They have no missionary. They have no scripture in a language they understand and can use easily. Nobody has reached them for Jesus yet. And you might think that it's a pretty short list. But this is the list. And I've got some friends here that are going to spread this out a little bit. I love that it's finite. I love that it's not an infinite number. We know exactly now, because of the internet and research and everything, we know how many there are. But there's a ton. And I want you to let this seek into your heart and your soul. And as they spread that out, I want to give you some hope, and I also want to give you something I hope this will convict you. Not make you feel guilty, not make you feel sad, but motivate you to move. Motivate you to own these truths that we've said here together and cheered about, and actually do something about it. Revelation 5.9, God gives John this vision of what heaven is looking like. And he says, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. That's how many are left. What are you going to do about it? We know it's going to happen somehow, but we've got the keys. Revelation 7, 9, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne, before the Lamb. Somebody's got to reach them. Thank you guys so much. If you would, roll that back up. <laughs> Good luck. Got a pretty simple challenge today. Simple doesn't mean easy. This is the prayer I'd like you to pray. Lord, I will go. And I'm asking you, please, please push back just a little bit to the natural pushback that we always hear in our hearts and in our heads and even from our best friends and family when you hear this. The first thing is, hey, there's people in America that need it too. 
There's people right here in Rome County, just as poor as somebody in another country. Absolutely. Which is why we start in Jerusalem, we spread out to, to Judea, we spread out to Samaria, and then we reach the ends of the earth. We need somebody at every spot along that journey. And God, we need people right here in this church. There are things that happen every single day around this place all the time that has to get... Somebody's got to keep that going. But don't let that distract you from the thing that Jesus said. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all the things that I have commanded you. And I will be with you always, even to the end of the earth. And Jesus started that command with the statement, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. I'm inviting you this morning to simply pray this prayer, I will go. He may call you here, but don't assume that. Don't just assume that. He may call you to our community permanently as missionary of sorts, Awesome. But don't assume that that's all he wants from you. He may be calling you, and I hope and pray he's calling you. I know he's calling me to break through the cultural and other barriers and help us reach people right here in Rome County and around here that we're not reaching. They look different. They sound different. Whatever reason that there might be between us, we're going to reach them for Jesus. I hope he's calling a bunch of you for that. But we've got to reach all of these people. Somehow or another, this is our job. This is who we are. The first step to doing this is for you to say, Lord, I'm coming to you first. You've got to give your life to Jesus today or give it back to Jesus. I just want you to know that you're saying, I will go. Because this is part of Jesus' call. We make disciples who make disciples. Our core motivation is building the kingdom of heaven. This is what we do. If you'd like to join our church, I'd like you to know this has always been true about us, but it's going to be more true than ever now and every day from here on out. This is going to define us as a church more than it ever has before. So if you want to join us as a church in any official way, I want you to know what you're getting into. We are a church that is moving out. And there might be somebody here, I hope and pray, I've been praying about this all week. There might be somebody here today that you sense God is saying, I want you to be a missionary in another country. I want you to be one of the people that reaches one of these groups. And if that's you, make that first step this morning. We're going to stand, we're going to sing. Whatever choice you need to make, please make it with all your heart and act on it. You just listened to part five of Moving Out, a five-part series on the Sunday Sermons podcast.